Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show with the host that was once voted sexiest man alive by no one ever. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from the recording studio built here in my home just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And remember, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to listen to this fine program. Notice I said legal smoking age, not 18, legal smoking age wherever you are got it okay uh, in this week's episode in uh, pipe parts we've got an ask the pipe maker with jeff grasick and then my guest is mark dion mark has written a ton of stuff on pipes and tobaccos and pipe related stories you may have seen him in the uh, naspc pipe collector and he's got a book out and i get to hang out with him and he's uh he's a bit of a throwback pipe smoker so we get that uh, mailbag music rant all that coming up on this week's episode of the pipes magazine radio show and uh, just a reminder uh, the mule town pipe show is coming up on uh, march 18th 19th you can go to pipesmagazine.com and get those details and the chicago pipe show the end of may yeah memorial day weekend that friday saturday sunday uh, i will be there hope to see a lot of you there new location this year so uh yeah we'll we'll all scout it out and uh i'll be hanging out in the smoking tent an awful lot so hope to see you all there uh if you have a uh, an ask the pipe maker or a question for jeremy reeves or a topic that you want rich esserman and i to cover well email those to me brian at pipesmagazine.com all right, let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Hi. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal. We know pipe smoking is a personal journey. That's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step, preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product from special releases like our small batch line to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell & Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is the maker of J. Allen Pipes. His name is not Allen. His name is Jeff Grasick. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Hey, 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 Brian. Thanks for having me back. I, I always know when people are really familiar with your work going, yeah, I've always wanted one of Allen's pipes. It's like, okay. Um, that <laughs> Uh, the Alan is your middle name, so there you go. Although you confused it everybody is, with the Allen brothers, been my whole life. Yeah, but then you confused yep. everybody with the Allen brothers because is, is your brother's middle name Allen too? It isn't. Say, but he is my brother, so I'm the Allen. He's the brother. Yeah, or we're both the brothers. Well, mm -hmm. all right. So you brought this to my attention, and this piqued my interest. How okay. to modify your own pipe to smoke like a $1,000 pipe. And I'm pretty sure the answer is not to buy a $3,000 pipe and jack around with it and screw it up. 
<laughs> well, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. So what's yeah, the answer? I think that's the end of the segment. I think we nailed it. Okay. Well, cheers. Um, yeah. All right. So how to, all right. So what price range are we talking about? What, what kind of pipes are we talking about modifying to make them smoke like a, like a, uh, like a Holy grail pipe, a Holy grail pipe. Well, I, I think, um, you can do this for just about any pipe, whether it's, um, you know, even some, you know, dare I say basket pipes. Uh-oh. Um, but oh. a lot of pipes, a lot of like sub $100 pipes can be modified. If not, most can be modified to make them smoke a whole lot better, if not, you know, just like a $1,000 pipe. And how do we do that? Please tell us. Oh, okay. So find a pipe maker, send him $1,000 and that <laughs> pipe. Well, that's the end of this no. segment and the, and the last time yeah. you'll ever hear Jeff on the radio show, so thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. No, so like... Let's talk about some of the differences between what an inexpensive pipe is, like a, a sub $100 pipe, and um, one of these Holy Grail pipes. What are some of the differences that you see? And let's, let's exclude things like shape and finish, because those things aren't really part of the smokeability of a pipe, how, how the pipe feels and, and performs as a smoker. I think you'd agree with that, right? Except in my case, if it doesn't have like a quarter inch of wood all the way around the bowl, it's going to smoke really hot for me and I won't be able to touch it. And so right. there's some of those basic issues, but yeah, go ahead. We'll, yeah, yeah. we'll play, so I'll play assume, your game for let's now. Let's assume that the, that the starting point, that the pipe that we're starting with has some of those basics uh, in place so yeah. that there's enough wood, uh, that the, the bowl's not too thin anywhere and that the mouthpiece um, material is of reasonably good quality. It's vulcanite or lucite. Um, so with some, with some modification, you can kind of hot rod this pipe and make it similar to, at least in terms of feel and uh, performance, to a, a much more expensive pipe. Some of the things that distinguish uh, a less expensive pipe from a much more expensive pipe, and this really is you know, beyond my understanding why factories do this, is that the mouthpiece is not drilled the same way. And it's not just the mouthpiece, it's also in some cases the airway through the, uh, through the shank. So typically, and some of your, some of your listeners might have some strong opinions on this, and, and let's just assume that, um, you can modify this to your personal preferences, whatever they might be. But for all of my pipes, the internal dimensions of the shank, so that the airway in the shank is drilled to four millimeters, 4.1 millimeters, or 530 seconds of an inch. And the same is true in the mouthpiece. So the mouthpiece is drilled with a tapered drill bit, so there's no um, step in place as Mm -hmm. it changes size to get to the end. So that's that's one thing that there is an open airway, and that open airway, to my standard, is five thirty seconds of an inch. The other thing is that there is a funnel, and what I mean is that there's like a fan shape uh, that is cut out at least an inch deep in the end of the mouthpiece. So if you look at the button end of your mouthpiece, there is a slot, and on inexpensive pipes. Typically, you'll see a really shallow slot. It's like a half circle. And that is done in the factory by a machine. And what that effectively does is helps the smoke um, to fan out in your mouth so it doesn't hit one specific area. But if the rest of your airway is four millimeters, give or take, and your funnel isn't wide there, it's just this half circle with a small, small drill bit uh, or hole going into it, all of it is constricted to that small, the smallest size. It's like it's reduced to that size, and that's what you're going to experience as a smoker. So what you can do is open that up with a little saw um, that you can make for yourself with a hacksaw blade, or you can go to uh, vermontfreehand.com, and they have some little tools that will help you widen that mouthpiece. Practice now, this on a pipe you don't do like that, first. Practice on a pipe you don't like first. Practice, practice yes, on a pipe you don't like first. You don't like first. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so, but what you need to, uh, so first of all, it, this is easiest to do with straight mouthpieces. If you've done it with a few straight mouthpieces and you feel comfortable with it, 
and you want to work on a bent pipe, you can then heat up and bend that mouthpiece. Now, first of all, I would oh. encourage you to, yes, oh. I would encourage you to take pictures of that mouthpiece before you <laughs> unbend it. Yeah. The way that we bend mouthpieces is with either a heat gun uh, or if you want to be really careful, use a hairdryer. Um, and it will, especially vulcanite, has a memory. Mm. And so when you heat it up, it will actually go back to being straight. Vulcanite does not, or I'm sorry, lucite does not do the same thing. Lucite goes from, uh, from hard to spaghetti to <laughs> melted very quickly. To jello. So, mm. you, so be careful. Be careful with that. So I would say for the average person, if you want to try this, do it with a straight mouthpiece. So that's, that is the biggest thing you can do to improve the smoking quality of a pipe and make it smoke more like a much more expensive pipe. The other thing you can do is modify the mouthpiece. Now this takes a little more skill and a little more practice, but you uh, can use files and sandpaper. And I have a video about um, how to refinish a mouthpiece on my YouTube channel that you can um, thin out the uh, the area of the mouthpiece behind the button, let's say the inch, the last inch of the mouthpiece, you want to thin that. And if you get an inexpensive set of calipers from Harbor Freight or from uh, Home Depot or somewhere, you want to end up with a mouthpiece that is less than four millimeters, between three and a half and four millimeters thick. Mm. And that is uh, you, are, you are measuring it right behind the button on the mouthpiece. Get the calipers you, that so have you, the rubber tips on them because the yes. metal ones will scratch the heck out of everything. Correct. Correct. So you want to get rubber tipped mouth, uh, uh, calipers or um, you can get some plastic ones as well because it doesn't need to be super precise, especially for most people doing this at home. So you use a file and just be very careful. Go slowly. And look back and forth, go back and forth, looking at both sides of it and looking at it from the side to see how close, how much material you're leaving on the, um, the top and bottom of the, the slot. And then you finish it with sandpaper and you should finish. So you start sanding at uh, 400 grit and say go 400 and then 600. And then if you use some micro mesh pads, um, you can get it back to a polished state without a, uh, without a buffing wheel. So between those two things, you will have a pipe that feels more comfortable. It takes some practice and will perform, uh, better because it has better airflow. And I would say there is a third thing we can talk about as well. And this is slightly more advanced and, uh, you could probably contact your local pipe maker or someone to make one of these for you. But a lot of pipes are cut to have filters in the bottom of uh, in the mouthpieces or uh, have a mortise that is much longer than the tenon. And for those kinds of pipes, you can actually just uh, either have made for you or make yourself a plug that goes into that where the filter should fit and makes it so that there is a consistent airflow without a big gap in there. And that what that big gap does is it creates some moisture trap. And as the air, as the smoke, um, experiences turbulence in there, it takes some of the moisture out of the smoke and it deposits it in that spot. And that's how you end up with a wet smoking pipe. Should you not want to attempt any of this on your own, which I never will. Cause if I like the way a pipe tastes and looks, <laughs> I'm not going to screw it up myself. Cause I've done that before. Uh, yeah, you can reach out to, uh, to a lot of the good, yeah, there's a lot of really good pipe, uh, pipe restoration guys that can actually hand cut a stem and, you know, hand cut a replacement stem and measure the tenon so that it butts all the way into the mortise and make the stem to your, to your recommendations. Uh, but yeah. And I bet, yeah. I bet some of these restoration places would be willing to do these modifications for you if you don't want to do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and if you have any problems with it, just call Jeff. Jeff's phone number is no. We'll we'll leave the phone number off. Five 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 <laughs> one two <laughs> one two. And if you screw up your pipes, please send pictures in so that we can laugh at you. Um, I'm happy to remind people of the pipe that I was trying to 
fixing clean up myself and the wheel grabbed it and it hit the workbench got back up into the wheel and shot over my shoulder and impaled in the drywall that was 12 feet behind me so well i am really surprised to hear uh i'm not surprised to hear that that a pipe got thrown by a wheel that that is a frequent thing especially for those who don't do this professionally uh second i am uh, really surprised to hear that it got impaled in your wall that's that's a heck of a lot of strength and third uh, you know i i thought we were i thought you were taking that too it got impaled in your shoulder so i'm glad i didn't hear that i was standing off to the side of the wheel because i know better <laughs> yeah let the pipe fly instead of hit your face or even further south uh, Jeff, thank you very much. And again, if you have any comments or questions, you can email them directly to me, Brian at pipesmagazine.com, and I'll forward them off to Jeff, and all fan mail and hate mail can be directed that way. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike, and our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning, to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mila Folge, 100,000 welcomes, wherever you come from, whosoever you be. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is somebody who, if you're in the pipe and tobacco hobby world and you don't recognize the name or have read his writing, well, you haven't read anything because Mark Dion has been writing for the uh, for the Pipe Collector. I think I've seen your stuff in Pipes and Tobacco's magazine going back. Uh, yeah. Pipe smoker, writer, journalist, uh, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Mark, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thanks a lot. So let, let's get let's get your uh, superhero origin story. Um, where where were you born? Where did you grow up? Did uh, and did pipe smoking start first, or was it the writing that started first? Um, I was I was born where I live now in Fall River, Massachusetts. It's a post-industrial city of about ninety thousand, but. In, I was born in, in 1957, and in that year, there there wasn't a lot of economic opportunity here, and my dad started to chase the work. So when I was a year old, we moved out, and we lived in several places in Massachusetts, and then in Baltimore, and then in Kansas City. And from the age of 11 to the age of 32, I lived in Kansas City. Ah. My parents retired to Fall River, Mass. I'm an only child. My father died. And I came back here to take care of my widowed mother. And I had worked for the Associated Press. I worked for the Kansas City Star. Mm -hmm. I came back here and I signed up with the Fall River Herald News, which at the time was a mid-sized daily. And here I stayed and I fell in love with one of the other reporters, Deborah. And <laughs> we got married and that and I, I, well, I say I retired. I was encouraged to retire as the <laughs> newspaper business fell apart. Uh. But I was 62, so it wasn't a problem. And I took the pension and am semi-retired now. I write a, a syndicated column for Creator Syndicate. Um, I'm doing an hour podcast for some guy here in town every day, five days a week on local politics. And that's pretty much it. So when did when did you decide you wanted to be a journalist? Um, wow. I decided I wanted I was trying to write by the time I was 11. And I went I went to college. I got a I got an English I I have a bachelor's and a master's in English lit. And I I got my bachelor's and I thought 
at the time, I thought I was going to get a PhD and teach college English. Mm-hmm. And I was getting a master's and you teach freshman comp and I didn't like it. <laughs> and I, I, I was tending bar and getting my master's and I had, I got my master's and I got a phone call from one of my professors when I finished my master's and he said, I know you're not going on for your doctorate. He said, because you would have called me for a recommendation. What are you doing? <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm not going to get a doctorate. I'm not sure what I'm going to do next. <clears throat> and he said, the assistant bureau chief of the Associated Press here in town, I was in Kansas City, called me and he's looking for someone. And I said, I don't know how to do that kind of writing. And he said, well, at least, he said, it's a union job. It's a good job. He said, and by the time they figure out you're no good at it, at least you'll have a few paychecks under your belt. (laughs) And I walked into the newsroom and I didn't even know how to turn on the computer. Somebody had to show me. Wow. And I I worked a shift. I worked the four to midnight and my parents were retired back in Massachusetts. And the next day I called my dad and I said, I'd do this for free. I was 26 years old and I did it until I was 62. Wow. I, the last, I don't know, the last seven, eight years in newsrooms were just awful. Yeah. Um, circulation was falling through the floor. They couldn't sell ads. They were laying off your friends. Everybody had to do more work. But until then for about 20 years, I love the business. I love the business. What did you love most about it? I love to write. And I liked, I liked the, I just liked the endless variety. And the fact that, I mean, I was held to a schedule in the sense that I worked defined shifts. I was on the two to 10 or the nine to five or the midnight eight or whatever it was, but it wasn't the kind of job and I'd had them um, in school. It wasn't the kind of job where, okay, this is your break time. This is your lunch time, And you better not leave the premises during your shift. Right. You know, if you had the time, you could go pick up your dry cleaning. If you walked up the street for a cup of coffee, nobody cared. Mm. And it was for most of my career, it was very results oriented. They didn't have to like you if you wrote well and it you know i i would go to a house fire and the next day i'd be at a junior high school science fair and two weeks later i would have a murder and then i would go to you know the 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 city council meeting or a uh, a a board of selectmen meeting, which is a town council for a small town here in New England, out in the suburbs. And I just like the fact that it <clears throat> it wasn't the same all the time. I got to get out of the office because I had to drive to assignments. And at least at the beginning of my career, newspapers were really a refuge for kind of the eccentric. Yeah. There were a fair there were a fair proportion of of drunks and you know, people who managers who were mean spirited and people who weren't very good at the job, but you worked with people, you know, I, you would work with people who I worked with ex boxers. I worked for an ex priest. I worked with a guy who was learning to play the saxophone in his fifties. You would work with people who had an encyclopedic knowledge of medieval history. (laughs) It was just a very interesting crew of people. So never, never a dull moment. There were some, there just weren't a lot of them. There were fewer of them than I, I could have made more money doing almost anything white collar. Yeah. But I, it was enough, you know, it was enough to live on and I could save and I didn't have to sit at my desk and do the same thing all the time. I mean, you know, I was a working class kid. My dad was a bartender when I was a kid and then he became a middle-level manager for a sporting goods company. My mother had clerical jobs that either paid the minimum wage or a little above. And, you know, my goal as a kid was to stay out of the factory. 
Hmm. You know, yeah, it was to stay out of to stay out of the factory, to not do anything that was dirty, to not do anything that was going to bore me or wear my body out. Because I'd yeah. I'd seen a lot of that. I had, I did farm work. I worked on loading docks. And I worked with guys in their 50s who were just too old for the work, but they couldn't stop. You know, they yeah. they had to come in every day and ruin the cartilage in their knees. And at 55, they've been doing this kind of work for 35 years, and they were literally too old for the work, but they couldn't get out of it. Oh. And I, I just didn't want to end up in that situation. And I, I love those people. I don't look down on them at all. But one of the things, and I've written this before in other contexts, I can't, I think it was kind of a different America in a way. I can't tell you how many times when I had dirty jobs, I was a hotel janitor, um, I hauled hay, I, I worked on a loading dock at a bleach bottle factory. I can't tell you how many times men and women I worked with said to me they'd find out i was in college or getting a master's and they would say to me stay in school don't end up like me yeah and i used to think what a sad thing that is that you're telling people to stay away from your life and secondly what a really beautiful and noble thing it was for them to hand me the only real piece of advice they had instead of pretending oh no this is great I love humping it out here on the loading dock for 11 hours a day while my back <laughs> yeah. falls apart. Instead of doing that, instead of trying to brave it out, instead of trying to macho it out, they said, this is hard work. Don't do it. Don't do it. I've been doing it for 30 years, and I didn't get enough out of it, and I'm tired. They, they had the courage to tell me that, and I really admired that. My grandfather told my dad the same thing, basically. He said, my son's going to grow up and work with his mind, not with his hands. Now, in people in, in white-collar jobs, I used to hear it in newsrooms, um, particularly if they don't have any experience of the tug-and-haul end of the world, <laughs> will say, oh, you get just as tired using your brain as you do using your body. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't. Not at all. And using your brain doesn't ruin your body. I, I have friends whose backs are shot from driving a backhoe. I have friends, as I mentioned before, they have no cartilage left in their knees from laboring on construction sites. What did I get, a headache? Yeah. yeah. You know? Carpal tunnel. Yeah, it, it's funny. I've never had that. And I worked, I worked with at least three people. A carpal tunnel ended their career. Wow. And I, I used to joke and say that, I only type, and it's true, I only use my right hand when I type. And I used to tell people I'm fine in the newsroom. I'd say, if I get carpal tunnel in my right hand, i got a whole other career over here. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, why I didn't learn to type. I'm holding this hand in reserve. <laughs> so let's, skip a, uh, let's switch over to pipes for a minute. When did you yeah. start smoking a pipe? I was almost 16. Um, completely and totally illegal. Um, I lived in Raytown, Missouri. Yeah. And it was November. And I walked down to the local drugstore and I bought a corn cop because it was the cheapest pipe they had. And I bought a flat tin of Prince Albert because it was the cheapest pipe tobacco they had. <laughs> and they gave me a, uh, a package of paper matches for free. Wow. Nobody in my house spoke. No one. And I lit that pipe on the way home and figured it out. <laughs> and I've been smoking a pipe now for, well, I was 15. So pretty much almost 50 years. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk more with uh, more about pipes with Mark Dion. And we'll get back into writing and, uh, and find out how you get, uh, how you get nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Since its beginnings in 1876, Savinelli has become more than just a pipe factory. It's become a lifestyle. 
From sourcing the finest Mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents, to expanding their catalog each year with new, innovative series. Savinelli produces high-quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. With a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black tie galas, Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with Mark Dion. Uh, all right, Mark. So you, so you got that first pipe. Do you have any idea what interested you in pipes? I mean, that, that was I, the early seventies. So, yeah, I think first of all, I and when I was a kid, when I was that age, and my parents didn't smoke, but everybody else did. Yeah, and a lot of men smoked a pipe, and I always thought that the guys smoking a pipe look, would just looked like they were really enjoying it much more so than the cigarette smokers. Huh. And it just looked, it just looked like it looked like something they were really enjoying. It looked like something calming. And I thought that that was what I was going to try. I had a couple of uncles who smoked a pipe as well. Um, I'd certainly read my Sherlock Holmes and still do. And I think all of those things combined made me into a pipe smoker, but I liked it right away. Yeah, that's amazing. So when did, uh, what was the next pipe and, and how do, how'd your pipe and tobacco journey kind of mature? Cause obviously you're still not smoking corn cobs and Prince Albert. Um, I don't smoke a hell of a lot of Prince Albert, but I've got about three cobs laying around the house. Yeah. Um, in all, in all the years that I worked for newspapers, I always kept a, a cob pipe on my desk because if I left the house without a pipe, I would have that cob pipe at work and they were so cheap. I didn't care if it got broken or somebody stole it. Yeah. So there was always a cob pipe on my desk. Um, after that, I, I bought a couple of gray bows, um, still my favorite drugstore pipe. Mm-hmm. And I found a place in a mall in Kansas City, a uh, tobacco shop called Fred Deebles. Yeah. And so I tried, you know, I'd been smoking because in those days you went into a, a drugstore. There was like an aisle of pipe tobacco. Yep. So I had smoked Prince Albert and Sale and Amphora and Half and Half and Granger and just whatever was available, mm-hmm. various cherry blends, Captain Black. And I started going to Fred Deebles, and I started smoking a lot of Kia blends there. And I put a uh, a GBD Canadian on layaway. <laughs> it was probably 15 bucks. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I gave him a couple of dollars a week. And that was my first... I don't know if you want to say good pipe because the corn cobs are damn good. Yeah. And I still like, I still have quite a few Dr. Grabos. I like them a lot. The ones that I like, uh, but that was the first kind of marquee name pipe I, I bought. Wow. Now did, did pipe smoking was back then? Did it, did it become an all day thing for you or was it just, you know, in the evening for relaxation? I, I've never been, I smoke a pipe all the time. Um, I, I, and I, I know that they're, and I'm glad they're there. I mean, because pipe smoking is sort of a growing thing in the U S and I've met people, younger guys who I've never seen them smoke a pipe Yeah. and, but they go home and, and they do the thing that the, the glass of good whiskey and the pipe and the tobacco they like and they sit in their chair and they read or sometimes they just enjoy smoking which i do too but i smoke when i take out the trash (laughs) i have a i do i have a pipe in my mouth when i'm driving um if i wash dishes there's an excellent chance there'll be a pipe in my mouth i'm kind of the the old school smoker those guys who were the average pipe smoker when I was a kid, which was the guy walking down the street, smoking a pipe. 
Yeah. And they they just smoked a pipe, which is kind of what I do. And it was really, I was probably 40 before I became at all aware of, you know, books about it and the pipe smokers ephemeris. And I, I'd been going to good pipe stores for a while, mm-hmm. but I really became aware of the literature and then the Internet quite late in life. Yeah, because I, I guess when you, you know, really when you started out in the 70s, uh, the main source of information about pipes and tobaccos would have been what you heard at your local pipe shop. Sure. You went in and said, I like this or yeah. I've been smoking this. And the guy behind the counter asked you if you were looking for that or were you looking for something different or were you looking for something like that, but better. (laughs) And you kind of felt your way through it. (laughs) And, And thus the reason why a professional tobacconist was a real profession that you relied on. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, those were the guys that, I don't know, as I said, would say, well, if you've been smoking half and half, well, this is this blend we have is a lot like that, but it's got a little more flavor. Or you might like this. It's It's got a tobacco in it called Latakia. It smells a little stronger, but its base is pretty much what you're used to smoking. And that was where you try to flake for the first time. Yep. Because that, that wasn't available in the local drugstore. Yeah. You know, and, and tobaccos from other countries. Um, that was where I first tried uh, Balkan Sobrani, which was my favorite for years. <laughs> um, all through college. I couldn't afford it, but it was what I smoked when I had money, which wasn't very often. The rest of the time, I smoked whatever bulk pleased me, but that was what I smoked when I had money. And I've, I've never been one of those guys who smokes the same thing all the time. Really, the the only way the and I have I have a friend who shall remain nameless who has smoked the same Burley blend since we were in college and he's <laughs> my age and that's all he smokes and the only sort of repetitive pipe tobacco I have and I, I mentioned the name before is in the summer I don't smoke anything but half and half June July and August Perfect. because I think it's very good for hot weather. Yeah. It's kind of light. It's not too complex. So when it's, you know, June, July, and August, I smoke half and half. And I I am definitely not immune to the vanilla cookie aromatic at Christmas. <laughs> I love anything maple flavored. Um, but I, I smoke a lot of English mixtures, too. And I mentioned... Um, flakes, I love walnut flake, the English tobacco, but it's very hard to get in this country. Yeah. I like St. Bruno, which you can get in this country. Um, in the cold weather, I'm a big consumer of McBaron's vanilla cream, which is the best vanilla I've ever had. You, you are probably in all the years of me doing this show, you are probably the most all over the place pipe smoker when it comes to tobacco that I've ever talked to. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I always want to try something new. Um, And see, I I think, like, I have friends, good friends, who are serious cigar smokers. We have a pipe store here in town, the Mm -hmm. old firehouse, which in a town of 90,000 is pretty rare. Yeah. And, but I have friends that will hang out there, guys, other guys I know who smoke cigars. I'll have a cigar. I'll have a cigar every now and then. But the thing about a cigar is it always tastes like a cigar. Yeah. I smoke a lot of different pipe tobaccos precisely because it tastes, this one tastes like a Lakeland. This one tastes like a straight Virginia. So it's a little grassy. This one tastes like vanilla. And this one tastes like Latakia. I love that, it, that it doesn't taste the same way all the time. Do you dedicate pipes to different styles of tobaccos? No, too much for like work. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just not going to get that. I have about 106 pipes. 
and yeah, too much like work. <laughs> so, so you just you you just pick up the pipe you want to smoke at the moment and the tobacco you want to smoke at the moment, and away you go. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I I still have a lot of that. As I said, I still have a lot of that attitude of sort of that casual generation of pipe smokers who came before me. They just smoked a pipe. Yeah. I, and I'm not saying that I don't. You know, there's some there's some solid McClellan blends around here and I'll, I'll try all sorts of things. I, I get the, uh, the mixes from LJ Peretti, some of the best blends in the country. Yeah, I'm not unsophisticated, but there comes a point beyond which I don't want to think too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, listen, I, I wish I could, I wish I could be more <laughs> like you, but uh, are you, when you smoke, uh, so during the day you're smoking multiple bowls full. Are you switching pipes during the day or are you smoking that one pipe the whole day? It varies. Um, I leave the house in the morning with a pipe. Sometimes there's one that's been in my truck overnight. Um, I'll usually, I'll switch if I feel like it. When I go, when I come home, I generally switch to another pipe. Um, at work, when I was working full time, um, I would bring a pipe to work with me and I'd smoke it out. And usually then I'd go to the corn cop on my desk for the next one. But I don't I don't have a real complex system. No. <laughs> Just you. You are not the one that sits there and contemplates the lines on each pipe and wonders how it's going to work with this very aged tobacco that you've been only smoking out of that pipe and. You're you're what you are really the throwback to the utilitarian pipe smoker who had a pipe, had tobacco, and lit it. Yeah, I'm halfway in between because, yeah. as I said, I'll I'll smoke some very some very good tobacco. I can't wait to try something new. I own like 106 pipes, so I'm kind of in the hobby aspect. But day to day, I'm just smoking a pipe. If you if for some reason you told me, okay. What you get for the rest of your life is your favorite Graybo, which is a, a little love that I've had for about 20 years, your favorite Graybo and half and half. Would I miss some of the other stuff? Sure, but I'd be happy. Yeah. I'd be okay. You know, I would, sure, I like the smorgasbord. I, I like trying different things and I get the catalogs and, I'll say, ooh, you know, I never heard of this before. I'm getting a can of that, and I'll try. <laughs> and I, I love that variety. Yeah, that's great. Uh, let, let's talk about writing for a minute, because before we started recording, you mentioned that you've been nominated twice for a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't win. So what? So what's that process? What were the what? Uh, I don't know anything about it. I was nominated twice by Creator Syndicate because that's how it works. The people you work for nominate you okay. um, based on, you know, who they think they should nominate, if anyone. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been sure what awards mean anyway. Um, and, and a lot of people who say that will say that because they don't win them. In, in the course of my career, I won about, 35 regional writing awards, New England Press Association. And in fact, I, I won more awards for the last paper I worked for than anybody ever had. And I used to tell people, I don't know if they mean you can write or not. What I know is that the people I work for think they do. Yeah. Hey, look, you know, I'm the best columnist in New England. They treat you better for two or three months. That's what I knew. <laughs> my, my judges were out on the street. Yeah. If I walked into a diner or a bar and nobody said anything to me about that week's column, that means it sucks. <laughs> if people couldn't wait to tell me that I was a jackass for what I'd said or I was right about what I'd said or anything or that I enjoyed reading it, hated me, that meant I hit. <laughs> Six guys or five guys judging me for an award. Yeah, it's nice. They're your peers. They, they know what you're talking about. They know how you do it, but they're not the people you're doing it for. My audience was out on the street always. Yeah. Uh, you can't write 
for the other writers. There's not enough of them to make a living. <laughs> no, and they're all busy writing their own stuff instead of reading yours. Uh, back. Going back through all your writings in the pipe collector and all that, are there a couple favorites of yours that you, you know, are there a couple that stand out to you more than others or ones that you think I, everybody should have read? I'd like to point out, first of all, that, you know, I am a professional writer. I've made my living. I made my living that way for 40 years. And, you know, union card, pension, health insurance, it was my job. And I freelanced for money, always. And the pipe collector is the, well, the pipe collector, and I've done a little writing for the Journal of the Pipe Club of London. Mm -hmm. And those two places are the only places I've ever written for free. So that should tell that should tell you how much I like it. Yeah. Because normally, if you're not going to pay me, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I think I'm, I think I'm at my best in the pipe collector in my yearly Christmas column because I love pipes and I love Christmas. So I think I do really well there. Uh. I, and I work real hard on the Christmas column because I like Christmas and I want it to be good. But I've, I've had a really good run with the pipe collector and I did a book um, of my essays from the pipe collector and the short stories I did for pipes and tobaccos. It's called Mill River Smoke. It's still available on Amazon for uh, Kindle only, I believe. But uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, when I decided to try and write something for the pipe collector, I wanted to write something for free. I did. I wanted I wanted to write something for the hell of it. I wanted to write something that wasn't too dead at intersection. I wanted to write something that wasn't a column about something political. I I wanted to write about something that was very much a part of my life and I wanted to write it to other people who felt the same way. And if you read my stuff in the pipe collector you'll find that very rarely, if ever, will I mention the brand of pipe I'm smoking. Very rarely. And that's deliberate. There are people, and they do a very good job of it, who write about kind of higher-end expensive pipes. And I worked for newspapers long enough to believe in a mass audience. And I thought, I'm not going to write do I own Dunhills? Yeah, I do. But I thought, I'm not going to write about something that the guy reading it may never be able to afford. Mm -hmm. So what do he and I have in common? We smoke a pipe. That's what we have in common. And so I write about what it's like to smoke a pipe, how I feel about it, the small rituals. And again, I take nothing away from people who can write like Rick Newcomb, who can write brilliant technical articles, Rich Esserman, yeah. about high-end pipes. But that's not what I write about. I want to, I write about what it's like to come home from a newspaper night shift in a snowstorm. And it's this is a, actually a column I wrote, and it's 17 above, and you got to park three blocks from home because you live in a city and you street park. And you come in the house and you're just numb with cold. And you change into something more comfortable. And it's 1030 at night and you pour yourself a glass of whiskey and you light a pipe. Now, at that point, I don't think the brand of the pipe makes a difference. <laughs> Probably. No. Right. Yeah. Right about what it feels like to be in that room, sipping the whiskey, smoking the pipe, what it feels like, what it means to you and how, how the whole thing is. Yeah. Because I know that that I know that that's whatever that that's something that the lawyer who comes home from a brutal day in the office does that, and the guy who comes home from a brutal day working on a foundation crew doing construction and smokes a pipe feels that. So that is that's where me and the lawyer, the construction guy, the young guy the older guy that's where we all meet mm -hmm. that's the place where we're all together and when you strip it down 
and you get to that, then, you know, this guy is smoking some age pipe tobacco he bought online. They don't make it anymore, and it cost him $120 a tin. And this guy over here is smoking Captain Black. But if they both come home from that exhausted day, and they're glad to see the house and the chair and their wife and the dog or the cats, that's where they're all together. And that's what I write about. That's what I've always said is if you smoke a pipe and there's tobacco in it, you're a friend of mine. doesn't matter what it is. The guy who was the best man at my wedding, and who was probably is my best friend at this point, I got off work about 25 years ago, and I walked into, you can still smoke in bars in the state of Massachusetts. I walked into a bar, sat down, ordered a beer, lit a pipe. I looked down the bar. There was a guy my age smoking a pipe. So I was like, hey, how you doing? What are you smoking? Right? That guy ended up as my best friend and best man at my wedding. And it started with, hey, what are you smoking? (laughs) Yeah. You know? Uh. Mark, we will, I, I could talk to you for hours, but we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Fire. What is your favorite pipe? Can't do it. Can't <laughs> do it because I love them all at different times. And, and you don't have a well, shape preference either, do you? In general, I like straight pipes. Um, and either long stems or a bulldog. You know what one of my, I'll tell you what one of my favorite pipes is. I got it a few months ago. It's a no-name commemorative made for the 1939 World's Fair in New York. Uh, and uh, it's a bulldog, and around the bowl, it says 1939 World's Fair. <laughs> and uh, I, wanted, I wanted that pipe for 15 years, and I kept getting outbid on it even though it wasn't all that expensive. And then Marty Pulvers had it on his site. And I grabbed him and said, I want it. Don't sell it to anybody else. And he said, I just sold it to Jim Bishop. But I'll put in a good good word for you. And I got in touch with Jim Bishop and I said, he was very good about that. He said, um, I guess it's Jim Curcio. It's Bishop's Pipes. And he said, yeah, I paid this much for it. And... I don't know. I gave the guy a modest profit. It wasn't an extremely expensive pipe, but that that's, that's been a big favorite of mine in the last few months, but they're all favorites at one time or another. The next question is what is your favorite tobacco? Um, can't buy it anymore, but I told you, I love Balkan Sobrani, um, and Walnut Flake. And what is your favorite drink? Um, Irish whiskey or black coffee. I I can get with you on the coffee. Uh, When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Book. Uh, That was an easy one. Yeah, that's easy. Yeah. And then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? Memory. Okay, this is a funny one. Uh, When I started courting my wife, we were both reporters, and my wife was smoking cigarettes at the time, and so... We used to take our smoke breaks together. That was a a signal part of the courtship. And (laughs) I would sometimes go out there with a corn cob. And after the first couple of times, I thought, I got to stop doing this because I'm trying to get her to fall in love with me. And I'm out there smoking this hillbilly corn cob. So I started bringing a better quality of pipes to work. (laughs) And... Years later, after we were married, I told her that, and she said, I never even really noticed, and besides, it's just a corncob pipe. But I had thought, I better get away from this, because I look like Elmo the Hillbilly here. (laughs) And uh, that did not turn out to be the case. (laughs) So so it worked out anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, To find the book... It's uh, Mill River Smoke, or you can just search for Mark, M-A-R-C-D-I-O-N, and it'll come up on Kindle right there on the old Amazons. Uh, It will. Modestly priced. Yeah. 
And if you're not a member, if you're not getting the pipe collector, well, you're not getting Mark's work in there, so you're a loser and don't talk to me. Um, even with, even without my stuff, the pipe collector is worth twice what they're charging. Yeah, um, it's like ten dollars for a digital one, and you know, per year or twenty something for the paper, and yeah. I get I get the hard copy, and there's there's just something about the day I get that that. You know, you, you, I, I don't, you know, I'll, I won't read it before dinner. And then at some point in the evening, I think, okay, that's it. I'm relaxed. And now it's time to open the envelope and, and read the pipe collector. I make a little ceremony out of it. <laughs> I, I hope the house doesn't, I hope there's no house fire because I'm ensconced in it. The, yeah, yeah. sometimes the. You know, so I've been known to put stuff off the minute it comes in. So, uh, Mark, oh, yeah. thank you very much for coming on, and thanks for visiting with us. No problem. I enjoyed it. And we'll be back in just a minute. Take a look at your pipe rack. Are all those briars and mirrors constant companions in your rotation? Or are there some that you gravitate to more than others? Are there some that you simply don't smoke anymore? Through SmokingPipes.com's estate trade program, you can transform those underused pipes into immediate cash or store credit. Just send us your pipes and we'll unpack, inspect, and evaluate them based on extensive market research and over 20 years of experience. Then we'll contact you with a detailed offer for your choice of cash or store credit, valid on any items in our vast selection of pipes, tobacco, cigars, and accessories. If you're not happy with our quote, we'll return your pipes free of charge to domestic addresses. It's that simple. Join the thousands of Smoking Pipes customers who have benefited from this program and start your trade today by contacting us at 888-366-0345. That's 888-366-0345. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Just love all the fascinating people in the hobby. And uh, do make sure that you're subscribed to the NASPC Pipe Collector and, and check out Mark's book. All right, for music, uh, Jody Davis. Yep, uh, Newsboys. And this song, I think, is absolutely perfect for the time that we're in right now. And it's just a reminder to, uh, you know, daily count your blessings or in some of our cases, you know, count your pipes.
The Newsboys' new album, Stand, is available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever, you know, all those places, Spotify. You know, buy it, download it, keep it. You've got mail. And if you have a comment or question, you can email it directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com or post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com. Just going to do a quick mailbag here and a reminder, I will get caught up on a whole bunch of mailbag stuff because I'll be gone for uh, three weeks. So that'll be coming up this month for you. Uh, Jay Everett writes in regards to last week's show, another great episode. I like the segment on people switching to the pipe exclusively and think your journey to it could be a realistically achievable one for others. Uh, Mr. Hannah had me laughing out loud a few times. It's pretty funny to see you in the straight man position for once. I appreciated the frank honesty on the Pipes for Beginners track, especially on Briarworks. I think they're underrated by a lot of folks and have been personally evangelizing for them for a while now. There you go. Thank you for that. And uh, Lark's, uh, Lars Koo, L-A-R-S-K-U, writes... This was another great episode. Fred Hanna certainly exudes knowledge of the hobby. I only wish the interview were longer. I have been enjoying his con his con his contemplative book when I went to purchase and download it. I was delighted to learn it was available on Kindle Unlimited at no extra charge. Keep up the great work. This show is a fantastic way to get a jump start into the hobby. I haven't quite figured out if I will be focused more on tobacco or the pipes, but I'm having fun discovering. Ah, yes, the discovery is the fun part. And the good news for you is, boy, we've Fred and I have recorded a whole bunch, and there's a lot more to come. And then finally, Dino says, A wonderful show for the beginning smoker, but with insights for the seasoned one, too. One tip you didn't mention is to have a cool beverage at hand. It will keep the mouth hydrated and soothed. The music selection, meh, I really like Ray, Ray Keynes' song uh, for the Stereocratic Party that has rather clever lyrics. In comparison, Mr. Larson's song is just noisy and the video is a mess. Yeah, I agree with you, Dino. And then he also says, as I often do, I find your observations in the rant to be right on. Thanks, Dino. Dino, you're welcome. All right, again, comments, questions, email me directly, brian at pipesmagazine.com, and in just a moment, rant time. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. just want to take the rant time moment to say that my thoughts and prayers are with the uh, people in uh, you know the, the former Balkan area uh, you know the Ukraine Russia to the people that are involved in this conflict involuntarily to the people that this has happened to with uh, without any choice uh, you know I know all of our uh, all of our Ukrainian pipe smoking friends would rather be just sitting and relaxing and smoking their pipe and worrying about where they're going to get their next bowl of vintage tobacco instead of worrying whether or not their uh, their house is going to get blown up. So thoughts and prayers are with you. You've been forced into this situation, and this goes for the for the people in Russia too that are going to suffer from this. Uh, You've been forced into this by uh, by other people, and these other people have no regard for your life and or human life, and they just wanted to force this on you. So, uh, you know, again, I just wish we were all just sitting around it and smoking our pipes and worried about you know finding that finding that next magic pipe or whatever it is. 
Instead, there are people in the Ukraine and in Russia and Belarus that are now having to go fight and defend and attack. And for what reason? Because, you know, some a couple of people are angry and have no regard for human life. So just know that you're in our thoughts and prayers. You're, uh, you know, you've got people behind you. And uh, someday we'll all be able to sit back and enjoy a pipe. And uh, you know what? Maybe I'll... Uh, Maybe I'll make a trip to the Ukraine where I've got some uh, family history. So, again, thoughts and prayers to all of you. Uh, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And uh, keep those cards and letters coming. Keep sharing out the Pipes Magazine radio show wherever you are. Thank you to uh, Jeff Grasick, as always. Thank you to Mark for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in and until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather that makes me angry and when Dr. Evil gets angry, Mr. Bigglesworth gets upset. And when Mr. Bigglesworth gets upset, people die!